the Lord's Day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christ died on a Friday for sinners, for their salvation, and he rose from the dead on a Sunday. And so all those who repent from their sins and trust in Jesus have this resurrection hope of eternal life, that this world is not the end. This world is not our home. This world is not the end. We have a, a life to come, and so we have that hope. Some of us might be going through really dark or discouraging seasons. Others of you are in a bright and encouraging season. But either way, there is hope for everyone here in the resurrection of Christ Jesus, and we celebrate that this morning. My name is PJ. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to be back here to bring God's word um, to you this morning. So, because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bibles and open it to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read a few different verses. We're going to go to three sections here. Colossians 1, 1 and 2. And then we're going to go to Colossians 1, 28 to 2, 7. And then we're going to go to the last verse of the book. So three, three sections here, okay? Colossians 1, beginning in verse 1. That's page 1043 if you, have a, if you don't have a Bible, there's a hardcover pew Bible under your chair. You can go to page 1043. If this is your first time looking at the Bible, the chapter numbers are the big numbers and the verse numbers are the small numbers. So when I say 1, 1, it's chapter 1, verse 1. And chapter 1, verse 2, okay? Colossians 1, 1 and 2 first. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints of Christ, in Christ, at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And then chapter 1, verse 28 to 2, 7. We proclaim him, that's Christ. We proclaim Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this. So that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, or therefore, just as you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to walk in him. Continue to walk in him. Being rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. And then the last verse of the whole book, chapter 4, verse 18, the last sentence of the book. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us in all wisdom. Father, we pray that your word would now dwell among us. We heard that you said grace to you, that grace comes to us from this passage. And so we pray that grace would flow to us right now in this hour of meditating on your word. Father, we pray for uh, one primary thing and one secondary thing. Primarily, Lord, we pray that you would move us, that you, we would see the glory of Christ and be exhorted and instructed in Christ that we would be empowered and enabled and encouraged to continue walking in Christ. And secondarily, Lord, we pray that this message would help us get the whole message of Colossians, how the whole thing fits together, so that it might bear long-term fruit in our study and in our thinking about the book of Colossians, so that the grace given to us in this letter would be regularly um, received and digested and Im implemented in our lives. Lord, none of this can happen apart from your Holy Spirit and from your power. Apart from you, we can do nothing but waste our time. 
So Lord, help us, we pray. Come now and change our lives. Strengthen us. Cause your specific grace that was meant for August 7th, 2023 in this room, cause that specific grace to flow now and give us big cups to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Michael Jackson's first solo hit was as a solo artist. Don't stop. No, <laughs> that's not Michael Jackson. I know it is a church and we're talking about believing, but no. Don't not no not don't stop believing. Don't stop till you get enough. Wow, I'm old. You guys don't know. Don't stop till you get enough. Michael Jackson's first hit. I might not have known it. Yeah, his first album off the wall. Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, the first song that he wrote himself all the way through and performed on his first album, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Do you guys know that song? Yes. You probably don't understand the words in the chorus, right? But Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. What does that song mean? What does it mean, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough? He, in the chorus, if you can understand the words, he encourages the hearer, the music listener, to keep on with the force. Keep on with the force. And don't stop till you get enough of that force. Enough of what? Uh, the force? What's the force? You know, um, Michael Jackson's mom was a Jehovah's Witness, so she was scared. And if you listen to the song, I can see why she'd be scared. She was scared that this song would just make people think about sexual immorality and filling their lives with that. And Michael Jackson pacified his mom said no mom it's not about that it really means he reassured her that it refers to whatever people want it to refer to so don't get don't stop until you get enough of the force that moves your life now we're not here to debate the meaning of that song we're not going to do an exegetical study of don't stop till you get enough but let's think about the message should we keep on going until we get enough should we not stop until we get enough Yes? No? What do you guys think? How many of you say yes? Let us not stop until we get enough. How many of you say no? No, we, we should stop. We should stop, even though we don't have enough. Well, okay, maybe we should ask a few other questions first. That's maybe not tied to the song. What have you started in your life? Have you, have you, do you have anything in your life that you've started and not finished? Yeah, a few things? Okay, some of you are like, yes, there's a lot of things I started in my life and not, not finished, like my, the cleaning of my desk, just right now in my study, probably. What have you started that you haven't finished? We all have something like that. For me, one of the big things I started a few years ago that I haven't finished is a book called Gospel Eyes. I think I wrote six chapters, or at least the very rough draft of six chapters of the book where I define and defend what does it mean to gospelize. Did Peter, Peter, did you talk about it? This, did Peter talk about it this morning? I saw it on the email, yeah. Um, what it means, why we should use that word in, in, in terms of how, what it means, and then how we should live it out in our lives. I didn't finish the book. One thing I did finish was my dissertation a few years ago, or two years ago. Now, it's supposed to, you're, you're given one to two years to finish that thing. I finished it in four to five years. Yeah, it took me a really long time. I, I, um, I, I went through nine chapters. It was nine chapters long. I, I wrote it. You're supposed to write it in, again, one to two years. I, I almost didn't finish it. I almost didn't complete it. I almost didn't because I felt like I got what I wanted out of the, the, the program. And I felt like I didn't need to write it anymore. I came to the program for a specific reason, to understand how the Old Testament points to Jesus and to build a sense that whenever I read the Old Testament, I can see clear pictures and connections to Christ more, more fluidly. Because I would see these professors who could do it so easily, and I was like, I want that. And in my last class, my, writing my last paper, I got it, and so I was like, I'm done. That's what I came for. I don't need to, I don't need to write the dissertation, right? But I did finish it because I was applying Michael Jackson's song. I couldn't stop till I got enough. Now, what, what, what was the enough that I, that I needed? It wasn't, I already felt like I had enough before I finished the dissertation. I felt like I got enough. But it wasn't enough for me because um, I needed to validate, I needed to graduate because I needed to validate my wife's investment, our church's investment in me, and other friends. And I even had friends from previously, previous churches who were giving me, giving me money financially to help me pay for the program. So there was no way I could just not finish 
I mean, I would have. Maybe if, they, maybe if no one was giving me money, I probably would have stopped, maybe. Um, but I, I felt like I, I had to validate their investment in me. So in one sense, I felt like it was enough, but it wasn't enough to just get the thing I wanted. I needed to validate their investment in me. So why do we finish sometimes, and why do we not finish other times? We finish, or it's, uh, we finish because we finish when we think that we've had enough. And we don't stop till we get enough, right? So whatever that enough is, once you feel like you have that, then, then you stop. So let me go back to the question. Should we keep going until we get enough? The Bible's answer is yes. Yes, you should keep going and you should not stop until you get enough. Provided that, the answer is yes, provided that, let me give a nuance here. Yes, you should not stop until you get enough, provided that what you are going after is happiness, joy, love, peace, hope, fulfillment, flourishing. Don't stop until you get enough of that. Don't stop until you get enough flourishing for you and for those around you and anything else this universe can offer you. Now, our problem is not that we, um, our problem is not that we want more. It's not, it's not wrong to want more. It's not wrong in this world, this broken world where you are broken and we are beaten down by our own sin and by, our own, by the insufficiency of this world and we're all longing for something. It's not wrong to long for things. It's not wrong to want more. Our problem is we want more of the wrong things. That's the problem. We want more of the wrong things. We want more of what gives back too little. Or like C.S. Lewis has said, we are far too easily pleased. We're like kids, he says, we're like kids at, at, on holiday in a, a, a nice hotel resort with a beach right there. And we're, we're playing with mud in the alleyway near the trash cans. When there's a swimming pool and there's a beach and there's an ocean and there's sunshine and we're content to play with the, the alley water and the trash on the side of the hotel. We are far too easily pleased. We want more of the wrong things. But you're saying, Peachy, I'm a Christian. I don't want more of the wrong things. I want more of the right things. I know the right thing to want. I want Jesus. I press toward the mark, towards the goal. Of, of, of having the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Uh, Peter's going to preach tonight. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing I desire on earth besides you. My heart and flesh may, may fail, but God is my portion forever. He's what I want. Okay, so maybe our problem isn't that we want the wrong things, because you're like, no, PJ, I'm a Christian. I know what I want. I want Jesus. I want more of Jesus. Okay, maybe you want more of Jesus. So what's your problem? Here's your problem. And my problem, even if you want more of Jesus... We might want the, our problem is that we want the right thing, Jesus, in the wrong way. And therefore, we are still far too easily pleased. Yeah, I want Jesus, but I want Jesus in this way. I want it to be through me just doing two, three, two or three things, check the box on two or three things, and get more of Jesus. Everyone wants fulfillment and, and fullness and flourishing and happiness. Everyone wants to have enough, and everyone will not stop until they have had enough. Again, this is not a bad thing in and of itself, but it can get bad very suddenly if you want the wrong thing or you want the right thing in the wrong way. And so what do we need? We need God's grace. And so Psalm, or Psalm Colossians 1-2 says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And so what Paul is saying when he says grace to you, he's saying, as I write this letter, the book of Colossians, grace is going to be coming to you. And as you read the book of Colossians, here's the grace coming to you. And at the very end, Colossians 4.18, he says, grace what? Not grace to you. What does Colossians 4.18 say? The last sentence, grace what? Be with you. We need God's grace to come to us. And then when that, God, when that grace comes to us, we need it to stay with us, remain with us. So that we can live off of that grace. And in Colossians, every letter where Paul says grace to you and then grace be with you, every letter has specific and unique graces. Some of it is similar to other letters, but every letter has a specific grace. And so what we want to do this morning is get a big picture of what is the specific grace of Colossians that was to flow to us. Now, Paul's concern 
for the saints in Colossae is that they would be discouraged. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. He wants their hearts to be encouraged because they were prone to becoming discouraged. Is anyone here discouraged? It's easy to get discouraged. I'm coming in to this Sunday generally discouraged. I don't know where you're at, but whether you are this week or not, generally we, we, we have seasons of discouragement. Paul was concerned because they were discouraged. Not only were they discouraged, he wants them to be joined together because in the discouragement you tend to isolate yourself from other people in discouragement. You tend to try to handle that on your own and then you get further into your discouragement. And you don't want to share the discouragement, so you get more discouraged and isolated. So Paul wants them, it says in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2, I want them to be, their hearts to be encouraged, and I want them to be joined together in love. So Paul's concern is for their discouragement, their division, and then chapter 2, verse 4, look at chapter 2, verse 4, I'm saying this, so that none of you, so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. He wants, he's concerned about the deception that might lead them to shift away from the hope of the gospel. It says in Colossians 1, verse 23, to shift away from the hope of the gospel. So Paul's concern, and my concern, for me and for you, is that you would be so discouraged, and then divided from people, and deceived in what the Christian life is, in a wrong way, that you actually shift away from Christ. That happens to people. That happens to members of our church. That happens to members of every church. I've had my own wrestlings with persuasive arguments. And you know what, you, you know what um, ideas are dangerous for you? Not all bad ideas in the world are dangerous to you. You know which ones are dangerous to you? The ones that sound reasonable. And you know what? Something that sounds reasonable to me might not sound reasonable to you. But there are bad ideas that have a little, just enough of Jesus, just enough of the Bible, just enough of God's wisdom mixed with enough of foolishness and lies that together it looks, it sounds reasonable to you. That's what I needed so that I could get enough. That's what I need more of in my life. Are you aware of what might be persuasive to you? Are you aware of what might sound reasonable to you in this season of your life? Shifting away from the hope of the gospel can look like Demas. Demas is mentioned in chapter 4, verses 14. He's part of the mission team, Paul's mission team. We just prayed for our mission, missionaries in Central Asia. There's several missionary units from many different churches that are in Central Asia. Maybe eight units from different churches here in America that are there in Central Asia. Imagine one of their missionary, one of their teammates, one of their team who was sent there is devoted to Christ, devoted to the gospel, and then... What happened to Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10? He fell in love with this present world and deserted Paul. He deserted the mission. He deserted the mission team. And he deserted the Lord of the mission, the Lord Jesus Christ. He fell in love with the present world. And I'll tell you why he fell in love with the present world. Because he was deceived by arguments that sound reasonable. Reasonable to him. It wasn't reasonable to Paul, but it was reasonable to him and he fell for it. Or Judas, who was discouraged by Jesus' style of leadership, washing people's feet, giving away money, living poor when you, can have all, when you have all this power and wisdom. He wanted to ride Christ's coattail to glory as the king. When, he, when Jesus started saying, I'm going to die on a cross and rise in three days, Judas was like, I'm out. I'm going to trade you for how many pieces of silver? 30 pieces of silver, which is worth, I don't know. I looked it up. There's all kinds of different views. A few thousand dollars maybe today. Under ten thousand, seven, eight thousand dollars, something like that. That's worth it. He was deceived by an argument that sounded reasonable. So what's the main command of the book? It's in chapter two, verse six. If that's the threat that you're going to stray from Christ in deception, Paul wants you, he says in verse six, so then just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, what's the command in verse six? Continue to what? Continue to walk in Christ or live in Christ. Don't stop walking in Christ. Don't stop until you get enough. And you won't have enough until you die and you, or Christ comes. So keep on walking with Christ. Don't stop walking in Christ. Keep walking. Or here's another way to say it. Keep walking in Christ to the end. Or don't stop walking in Christ till you get enough, which comes in glory. So the Christian life... We saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. Is that biblical? Is it biblical to decide to follow Jesus? Yes or no? Yes, yes it is. That's why we sang it. 
But the Christian life is not just a decision. The Christian life is a decision, but it's also a direction that you walk in. It's not just a direction, it's a duration. You walk in it for a long time. So the Christian life is not just a decision, it's a direction and a duration. So, keep walking in Christ, firm to the end. Two points to the sermon. Hopefully, 20 minutes on each. Two points to the sermon. We're overviewing the whole book, okay? Two points to the sermon. Number one, why? Number two, how? So why should we keep walking in Christ to the end? Secondly, how shall we keep walking in Christ to the end? Okay? And if you, don't, if you get lost, if you remember this church, just go to the church email. I sent you the outline. Okay, so the outline is right there for you. You can see what I'm trying to do here in the next 40 minutes. Why should we keep walking in Christ? Chapter 1, verse 3, all the way to chapter 2, verse 5. And then how should we keep walking in Christ? Chapter 2, verse 8 to chapter 4, verse 18, the rest of the book. Okay? Why should we walk in Christ? And I have four reasons why you should walk in Christ. I'm going to try to be quick because we're trying to go through the whole book, okay? Why should you walk in Christ? Reason number one, because gospel hope came to you. Look at chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. He says in chapter 1, verse 5, the middle of verse 5, You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you. So the gospel came to you. Why should you keep walking in Christ? Because the gospel of Christ came to you. You heard the gospel. You believe the gospel. You decide to walk in Jesus and trust in Jesus and follow Jesus. Therefore, keep walking in Jesus. Don't stop. The gospel comes to many people's ears. But that's not what Paul's talking about here when he says it came to your ears. He's talking about it came to your hearts. It came to your life. It came to, 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 to um, captivate your whole mind and life direction. Where Jesus became more valuable to you than your wife, or your husband, or your children, or your money, or your job, or life itself. The gospel came to you. So keep walking in Christ. That's reason number one. Reason number two why you should keep walking in Christ is because gospel people pray for you. Now that's verses 9 through 14 of chapter 1, but I just want to look at 9, 10, 11 since this is an overview. Look at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard this, that the gospel came to you, we haven't stopped praying for you. What are you praying for us, Paul? What should we be praying for each other? We are asking that, here's the prayer request in verse 9. You may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There's the prayer request. That you would be filled, continually being filled with knowing God's will, filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, and spiritual understanding. Not just knowing it intellectually, but loving it. Being devoted to it. Craving it. Desiring God's will. Because it gives you more of God. To be filled with knowing God's will is not to just memorize Bible verses. We memorize Bible verses. We learn, we sit in a sermon, we understand a message. But do we want it? Do we love him? Do we trust him? Do we trust what he's telling us? Do we want more of it in our lives? Is it, does it fill our hearts and our desires and our ambitions? So there's a prayer request, that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So you understand and see the beauty of that will, and you have, it's in all wisdom, so you know how to apply it and how it works out in your specific situations for today and every day. So there's a prayer request, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Why? Why should we be filled with the knowledge of his will? Verse 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord. And that's the main command of the book, right? Walk in Christ all the way to the end. Why should you be filled with the knowledge of God's will? Because when you're filled with God, the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, you walk worthy of the Lord. And that's the main command of the book, that you would keep walking in Christ. But that's not the ultimate purpose. Paul's ultimate purpose of praying and the ultimate purpose of walking is not just that you would walk. We don't exercise just to exercise. There's a purpose behind it. What's the purpose behind walking in Christ? Look at verse 11. So that, the end of verse 11, so that you may have great endurance and patience. So that you may walk not just worthy for a moment, but with great endurance and patience so you could walk all the way to the end and meet Christ to be presented Him presented in him. So there's a prayer request. Why should you keep walking in Christ? Because people pray for you that you would know God and his will. 
Why should you walk in Christ? Why should you keep walking in Christ? Because people are praying for you that you would know God's will and love God's will so that you walk worthy of the Lord, not just for a moment, but with great endurance and patience. So that's the second reason. Walk, keep walking in Christ because the gospel came to you. Keep walking in Christ because the gospel people pray for you. Thirdly, keep walking in Christ now, verses 15 to 23. Keep walking in Christ because Jesus is glorious. Jesus is glorious before you and to you. Jesus is glorious before you ever existed and to you. Verses 115 to 23. What do we mean that Jesus is glorious? Look at verse 15. Who is Jesus? According to verse 15. He is what? The image of the invisible God. Is that the same as you? Because God made you in what? In his image. Is that the same? Or is it, a little, or is it different? It's different. It's infinitely different. You are made, what? In the image of God. Jesus Christ is the image of God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God and you're made in God's image. And Jesus is that image of God. Jesus is God. He is the image of the invisible God. Okay, he is the, ex he is, he is the revelation of God being God himself. St. Peter, what if you're just an image and not the same thing? Because images are not the same thing. Yeah, but if you're a perfect image, if you're a complete image, if you're an image with no lack at all, you actually become exactly what you are imaging. But we don't have to just do that philosophically. Just look at the verse. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Why? For everything was created by him. The in heaven, on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. All things, all things have been created through him and for him. So Jesus, the son, is the creator. And there's only one creator, one being, who's the creator. And who's that? God. Everything else is creation. Everything else in the universe is creation except one being, God. So you can break down everything into two things, creator and creation. God and everything else. And the son is not on the everything else side. He's creator. He's God. He's the image of God. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is eternal. Look at verse 17. He's before all things. He existed before all things. So he's eternal. And look at verse 17. He's also the sustainer of all things. By him all things hold together. Jesus did not only create you and create this world. If he stopped sustaining the universe right now, it wouldn't blow up and, you know, blow up into a million pieces. It would just stop existing. It's not like it would just scatter. It just wouldn't be. It wouldn't exist. He doesn't only create you and create the universe. Every moment, moment by moment, he sustains its existence. You cannot exist one millisecond without Jesus sustaining you. And you don't have to be Christian to be sustained by Jesus. That's the whole thing. Everything in the universe is sustained by this Jesus. He's glorious. He's God. He's the image of God. He's the creator. He's eternal. He's the sustainer. Not only that, in verse 18, he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. Because not only is he God, he's the firstborn from the dead, and God can't die. So how does he die? How can he be the firstborn from the dead? How can he die if he's God? God doesn't die. The nature of God, God, you can't kill God. By his very nature, he cannot die. So how is he the firstborn from the dead? Because he does not only have the divine nature, he also has what? Human nature. Because this son, this image of God, God the son, became what? He became a man. The incarnation. God the Son became a human being that can die. He lived the life we should have lived in perfect righteousness. He dies on the cross for sinners. He dies. He suffers. And he dies. No more life. He breathes his last breath and dies. Crushed under God's wrath in darkness and then dying as a human, in his human nature, through his human nature. God the Son dies through his human nature. But it doesn't just say he's dead. It says he's the firstborn from the dead. So he didn't stay dead. What happened? He rose from the dead, right? On the third day. And he's the very first being 
of all beings that will rise from the dead because there are many beings that are going to rise from the dead. I'm one of them. You're looking at someone who's going to rise from the dead. I am going to rise from the dead one day. And as I look out at you and we're singing to each other, I believe in the resurrection. And I'm looking at your faces as we're singing. I'm looking at all these people who are going to rise from the dead. You're going to rise from the dead if you're a Christian. But you're not the first to rise from the dead. You're not the firstborn from the dead. There's only one who's the firstborn from the dead. And that's Jesus. On that third day, on that Sunday morning, he rose from the dead. And in that, he has reconciled. If you just read on the verses, he reconciled everything to God. So he's before all things. Christ is glorious, but he's not just glorious in general. Praise God. Now, that's enough to follow Jesus. I can just stop with this last five minutes and say, that's the reason to walk in Jesus. That's enough. If that's who Jesus is, the God-man who saves, who saves and reconciles, that's enough to say, walk in Jesus for the rest of your life. But not only that, not only does he do that in general, it's personal. In verses 21 through 23, it says in verse 21, here's your biography. Verses 21 and 22 is your autobiography, if you're a Christian. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. You were a sinner, you were evil, you were selfish, you were arrogant, you were self-righteous, you were impatient, you were manipulative, you were passive, you were irresponsible, you made excuses, and all of that alienated you from God and sentenced you to die. But verse 22, but now, even though you deserve to die, now... Jesus has reconciled you personally by his physical body through his death to present you holy and faultless and blameless before him. There's the gospel, right? That is the gospel. That is your story. That Christ came, he died and rose, and he took, he, he took you, and you were dead in your sins, alienated and damned to die, and God took you, Christ took you, and reconciled you to the Father. He forgave you of your sins. He paid for it through his body, through his death. He paid for your sins if you're a Christian. And he reconciled you to the Father. And one day, soon, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, soon, he will present you and us, his bride, holy and blameless and faultless before the Father at the wedding to come. And that's why we need to continue to walk in him. Now, if you're not a Christian, I just told what potentially could be your story. If you're not a Christian, you have one of two stories and only one of these two stories. Either you are alienated and hostile to God and you continue to live that way and you die in your sin, you die in your rebellion, you die in your selfishness and you go to hell. That's your story. That's your destiny. Or you're selfish and deserve to go to hell like me and all of us other sinners who are selfish and evil and wicked. But you receive Christ who came to die for your sins and rise from the dead. You repent from your sins. You repent from your goodness. You repent from your religion. You turn away from all of that and you trust in Jesus Christ alone as your savior, as your master, as your treasure. You do that and you become a Christian. And then when you die, you'll be, well, you'll be reconciled to God. Now, when you die, you'll go to heaven for a little bit with the rest of us who die. Then we'll come back again when Christ rises, or when Christ raises everyone from the dead. Then we'll be, we will be presented finally blameless and faultless before God. So you have one of two destinies. Everyone here is a sinner. You can either continue in your sin and die in your sin and righteousness, or you can turn from your own righteousness and sin, trust in Jesus, and be saved. If you're not a Christian, I want to plead with you this morning to repent and turn and trust in Jesus. All right, there's a fourth reason, last reason why you need to keep walking in Christ. We're talking about why. Because gospel leaders strive and struggle for you with great concern. In 124 through 29, Paul says, I struggle. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. I struggle for you. I work hard to present you mature in Christ. I preach Christ. I die for Christ. I lay my body out for Christ. I, I care about you. I'm concerned for you. I want you to grow. I want you to make it to the end. He's concerned for the Colossians. And so he struggles to proclaim Christ to them. And he's concerned for them because they are tempted with discouragement and deception. And you know what? If you're one of the 141 members of BBC, 
that means that you have at least 100 members who are concerned about you. I'll say at least 100 because I know sometimes we're not all concerned about each other and we go through those seasons where we don't care. At least 100, that's a good guess. I don't want to guarantee that. Okay, maybe, maybe at least 50. <laughs> you have at least 50 people. Just to be, I, I want, I'm behind this pulpit, I need to preach truth, right? Um, at least 50 people who are greatly concerned for you and struggling at this moment and striving for you because they care about you. And that's why you need to keep going. All right, so let me just recap these four reasons. Why should you keep walking in Christ and not stop? Because gospel hope came to you. Because gospel people pray for you. Because Jesus is glorious before you and he's glorious to you. And lastly, because gospel leaders and gospel members strive for you and struggle for you and they care about your finishing well. We care. I can say that your four pastors care. We strive and struggle and are concerned for every one of the members of this church that you make it to the end. I care about you. I pray for you. We care. So we need to keep walking in Christ. Now, the world answers this question differently than us. The question, who or what is the true treasure and key to happiness in life? Right? Everyone has a, a, a guess at that. What is the key to happiness in life? What is the true treasure for happiness in life? Everyone in the world has an opinion, and you know by the way they spend their time, what they invest their time in, what they're devoted to. Everyone has an answer to that question functionally. That's why they live the life the way they do. The world gives a thousand answers. And some of them, not all thousand, maybe one or two are more appealing than others to you. Some big answers today are justice in the world would give meaning, or meaning in life, or money, or relationships, or health, or prestige, or admiration from others. With social media these days, the big sell, one of the big sells from social media is that you get likes and people pay attention to you. And people look at you and admire you. They like your posts. They interact with you and it feels like you're getting happiness. Though you're just draining yourself of true, deep happiness. God gives one answer this morning as far as the key to happiness. And that's Jesus Christ. So keep walking in Jesus Christ. Children, listen children. You're here, children's class. This is children's class, right? Children's ministry. Children, God wants to save you. You. God wants to save you. He wants you to repent from your sins. Jesus wants to forgive you of all of your sins. But you know what you need to do? You need to trust in Jesus. You need to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. Why? What did Jesus do for you? Kids, answer me out loud. Kids, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do for you? He what? He died on the cross for our sins. That's right. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So repent from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. All right. Let's keep walking in Christ. Praise God that God in Christ saves us and keeps us caring for us to help us walk in him. That was 17 minutes. I said 20 minutes. That was 17 minutes for point one. We're doing good. All right. Point two. I got 23 minutes now instead of 20 for point two. So that's why we should walk in Christ. Point two. How should we walk in Christ? How should we walk in Christ? And there's two sections here, but section two has like eight subpoints. You can check your email for the details. All right. Two ways to walk in Christ. How do we walk in Jesus firm to the end? How do we not stop until we get enough of Jesus? How? Two things. Number one, discern and avoid bad ideas. Discern and avoid those appealing, reasonably sounding arguments and lifestyles that are presented to you as the way to live. Or another way to say it is, discern and avoid Christ marginalizing ideas and lifestyles. Christ might be in there, he's just not in the center. He's marginalized. He's pushed out of the center and he's not the goal either. Discern those ideas in your life and those lifestyles that appeal to you and avoid them. That's number one. Number two, that's chapter two, verses eight through 23. That's the rest of chapter two. And then chapter three, verse one, to the end of the book, the last two chapters, the second way, and you need both of these together, the other side of the coin to continue walking in Christ is to pursue 
a Christ-centered and Christ-exalting mindset and lifestyle. So we're talking about mindset and lifestyle, right? ideas and lifestyle. Avoid, discern and avoid the Christ-marginalizing mindsets and lifestyles out there. And then pursue with all your might, all your time, all your concentration, pursue a Christ-centered and Christ-exalting mindset and lifestyle. All right? Let's look at those one at a time. Avoid Christ-marginalizing mindsets and lifestyles. Now, to do this, you need to discern what is appealing to you. It sounds like Jesus. It seems like the teaching of Jesus. This lifestyle has enough of Jesus in it, maybe keeping the Sabbaths, being a member of a church, coming on Sundays, praying before your meals. If you just do sprinkle enough Jesus in your life, then you could pursue what you really want to pursue, or you could really pursue Jesus, really pursue Jesus, with this other thing added that is anti-biblical, or extra-biblical, or expired biblical, or eccentrically biblical, you could add that to your life and actually push Jesus out of the center without you knowing it. So you need to be able to discern that and avoid it. One of the scariest verses to me in Revelation, my favorite book in the Bible, Revelation, one of the scariest verses to me that challenges me but causes me uh, to get goosebumps sometimes when I really think about it is, I mean, because in, in Revelation there's two points. I'm not about to preach an overview of Revelation right now. I need to back up, hold up. Two things in Revelation that are the challenge, trials and trickery, right? Pressure and then bad ideas. And for the bad ideas, it describes there's two beasts that come out, of the, um, that come out from Satan. One is trying to pressure you, but the other one is deceptive. And it, here's how it describes that second beast. This is Revelation 13. He had two, two horns like a lamb. So it says, he looked, he looked like a lamb but his voice was like a dragon, or was like a serpent. He looked like a lamb, but his voice was like a serpent. Who's the lamb in Revelation? Jesus. Who's the serpent? Satan. And here's the challenge. It looks like Jesus. Looks like Jesus with your eyes. But if you could hear the argument... It's actually the voice of Satan. That's a challenge. And that's what Paul's getting at here in Colossians 2, verses 8 through 23. That there are reasonable arguments that sound, that look like Jesus. And sound like Jesus, but it's the sound of the serpent. So you need to discern them. Now, I, I, I want to tell you how to discern them and go into that, but that's a whole sermon. I actually preached two sermons. There's two hours of it here at BBC. I also preached it in 35 minutes at this SBC Pastors Conference, um, but it's not as thorough. So you can listen to those for the details of how to do it. I want to, tell, I want to talk about here, because we're doing an overview, why you should avoid these eccentric teachings. Well, let, me, let me just say a little bit about these words. When I say anti-biblical, obviously, if it's going against the Bible, should you avoid it? Yes. What if it's biblical, but it's old covenant requirements, Sabbaths, new moons, unclean foods? Should you keep those to really enjoy the full life in Christ? No, those are expired biblical commands. They're still good commands. Read them in your Bible because it points to Jesus. You need them for your life, but not in the way of the old covenant lifestyle. Okay? So get rid of expired biblical commands. Thirdly, extra biblical commands. Commands that are not in the Bible. And then, the last one, and here's the tricky one, at least for BBC, eccentric biblical, biblical commands. When I say eccentric, I chose that word very carefully because the word centric is in there, which means the idea of centric has to do with what? A what? A center. And eccentric is outside of the center. Eccentric biblical commands are actually biblical commands, but you think of them in a way that puts Christ out of the center. And so they become eccentric. But they're biblical. So for example, you can just take any biblical command. So Matthew 18, the church discipline, right? Uh, if your brother sins against you, tell him his fault in private. If he listens, you've won a brother. If he doesn't listen to you, take what? One or two with you. And if, you, if he doesn't listen to one or two, what should you do? Tell it to the church. If he doesn't listen to the church, then what? Treat him like an unbeliever or a tax collector, a Gentile or a tax collector. That's a biblical command. But you can obey that command 
with Jesus outside of the center. Because we want to be a pure church. It's not about Jesus anymore. It's about being a pure church and getting our membership role nice and tight and clear. Biblical command that became eccentric. You can do that with any command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Husbands, love your wives. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Parents, don't exasperate your children. Do your work heartily in the workplace. Any command that's in the Bible that's good, you can take it and push Jesus out of the middle. And then soon enough, you'll think you're following Jesus, but you're not following Jesus. You followed an eccentric command. Now, why should we avoid all of these things? The three reasons here in chapter 2 are, chapter 2, verses 9 through 13, look at verses 9 and 10. Here's the first reason why. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him. And that's the key right there. All of the fullness is where? All the fullness of God is where? In whom? In Jesus. And what does Jesus do to you in verse 10? He what? You have been what? Filled by him. All of the fullness is in Jesus, and then Jesus looks at you, and what does he do? He fills you. The one who is fully God and has the fullness of God in him personally looks at you, engages you, and fills you with him. With his goodness, with his glory, with his mercy, with his majesty, with his kindness, with his righteousness. God fills you with himself. So therefore, don't be going after these other ideas that push Jesus out of the middle because Jesus himself fills you. And then it says, if you read on in those verses, um, you're baptized in him and you're raised with him. So when Jesus died, who died? You died. And when Jesus rose from the dead, who rose from the dead? You rose from the dead. You are united to Christ. He fills you and he unites you to himself such that he killed your old self and raised you to newness of life. Therefore, keep Christ in the center of your thinking the center of your mindset, and the center of your lifestyle. So if you're discouraged here, now I said I came in, I, I'm coming into this Sunday um, more discouraged than encouraged, not super discouraged, but more discouraged and encouraged in my own soul. Um, if you're discouraged like me, here's the encouragement. Jesus fills you. You don't need to fill yourself. That's probably why I'm discouraged because I keep trying to fill myself and I don't feel full in my efforts. But Jesus fills you. You, are, you have been filled by him and you are being filled by him. Positionally, you're filled in him and you're continually being filled in him. The second reason why you should do it is, is chapter 2, verse 17, uh, because it says, these are the shadows. These extra, these expired biblical commands are the shadow. But what's the substance? The substance belongs to Christ. So it's the second reason why you should keep centered on Christ and avoid um, Christ's marginalizing teaching. And the third reason is because it shrinks you. In chapter 2, verse 18... He says, um, at the very end, such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. Look at verse 19. If you, get, if you get caught into these teachings, he doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with a growth from God. Now, who's the head here in verse 19? Who's the head? You guys said it. Jesus Christ, right? And if you go off in these teachings, even though it's biblical... If you go off in these teachings and you push Christ from the center, it says here, these types of people, they don't hold on to the head. And when you don't hold on to the head, you don't grow with a growth from God. In other words, you shrink. Who here wants to shrink spiritually? Nobody wants to shrink spiritually if you're a Christian. So what should you do? Hold on to the head. You grow, you grow with a spiritual mindset rather than an unspiritual mindset um, if, you, if you hold on to Christ. So avoid these things. Avoid Christ marginalizing ideas. And then let's get to the second half of the book. Chapter 3, verse 1, to the end of the book. Pursue a Christ-saturated mindset and lifestyle. Pursue a Christ-centered mindset and lifestyle. You guys ready for the eight points? Eight sub-points? We're going to go fast. Slow? <laughs> I did many sermons on these. Okay, somewhat slow. I'll try not to talk fast, though it's going to be short, though. Short kind of bullet points here. Number one, I'll, I'll say them all and then we'll go through. Personally, so pursue a Christ-saturated mindset, Christ-centered mindset and lifestyle. Personally, uh, congregationally, comprehensively, familially. This is all in your email. Familially, vocationally, that means at work, prayerfully evangelistically, 
and cooperatively. Okay, I'll say that one more time and then we'll just go through. If you're going to pursue this Christ-centered mindset and lifestyle, that means you pursue Christ and you, live, you walk in Christ personally, congregationally, comprehensively, familially, that's with your family, vocationally, that means at work, prayerfully, evangelistically, and cooperatively. All right, one will be the longest and then we'll, we'll machine gun through the rest of it. Pursue Christ personally. That's chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Set your mind on things what? Above, not on things of the earth. Colossians 3, 2. So personally, set your mind on Jesus. Set your mind on Jesus personally. That means your mindset and then your, your own killing of sin in your own life. So to set your mind on Christ, that means think about Jesus. If you're going to avoid unbiblical teaching, you need to fill your mind with what? Biblical teaching. Right? If you want to um, empty, if you want to get all the air out of a cup, what do you do? Fill it with water or something. Well, I guess well, water has air in it, PJ. Okay, fine. Not water. Uh, some other substance, right? Some other liquid that has no oxygen, right? If you want, if you want to, well, it's liquid versus air. If you want to fill, if you want to empty the cup, you need to fill it with air. It's the same thing with your mind, your mindset. If you want to avoid unbiblical teaching and have no space for you want to get it out of your life, you want to avoid it, Fill your mind with Christ. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on Christ. What does that mean practically? Hear the Bible read to you. How many of you read the Bible with another Christian in the last month? Last four weeks? Okay, some of you. Should be more of you, but at least four. Okay. Um, and I'm saying in a smaller context, not here on Sunday. But listen to the Bible. Let other people read the Bible. Read the Bible with other people and hear it read to you. Hear it taught to you. Listen to long expository preachings at BBC with this church family, if you're part of this church family. If you're part of another church family, listen to expository preaching with your church family. And pay attention. Come with great expectation that God has a word for you personally. And then sing gospel truth if you're going to set your mind on Christ. The last things you're going to forget on your deathbed. If you don't have a sudden death and if you, if you have a... If you, if you make it to a deathbed, the last things you're going to forget is Christian songs. Or songs. Not just Christian songs. Songs. So fill your mind with Christian songs. Memorize Christian songs. Parents, teach your children Christian songs and have them memorize them. Read your Bible on your own. Memorize scripture. Memorize the fighter verses. How many of you guys are, maybe you guys aren't doing the fighter verses anymore. You guys know there are fighter verses here, right? <laughs> Psalm 91, 9 and 10. Psalm 91, 7 and 8 for this week. Ooh, my family is, we were so behind. So for vacation, we just did one every day. So now we're, up, we're on track. But memorize scripture. Fill your mind with the Bible. And then when you read the Bible, Jesus said in John 5, 39, search the scriptures, talking about the Old Testament, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify about me. Know how the whole Bible points to Jesus. So fill your mind with, with, with truth, with Christ. And then, Verses 5 through 7, 5 through 11, kill sin in your own life. This is all part of the personal. Kill sin in your own life. He talks about sexual immorality, so kill sexual immorality in your life, verses 5 through 7. That includes not just your life, your actual body committing sexual immorality, but your mind, your eyes, what you watch on your phones, your iPads, your tablets, your computers, your screens, on the movie, on the movie screen. Um, avoid sexual immorality. And then, not only kill that in your life, kill anger and wrath and malice and slander and filthy language and lying. Kill the sins of the mouth and of the heart, your disposition in relationships. That's verses 8 through 11. So that's all personal. If you're going to walk with Christ, walk with him personally, with your mindset and killing sin in your own life. Secondly, to walk in Christ, how? You should do it congregationally. Verses 12 through 17 says, look at verse 12. Think about your church family. This is how you should be living with your church family. Verse 12. Put on compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, patience, bearing with one another. Have you had to ever bear with, a, with someone else in this church? Have there ever been a burden to you and you've had to bear with them? Yes. That should be happening. If, you, if you, that's never happened to me, it's because you're not close enough to people in your church. You're too isolated. Get closer to people in church. Then they will annoy you. They will bug you. They will test your patience because we are sinners and we struggle with selfishness. So bearing with one another, with patience. And most of all, look at verse 14. Above all, forgiving each other. Verse 14, above all, put on what? 
love. So congregationally, put on these interpersonal relational virtues. And then verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell where? Dwell richly where? Among you. So let Christ's word dwell in our church family. Let it dwell among us. Keep speaking the word. So congregationally, put on personal virtues in your own life as you kill sin. And then put Christ's words on your lips and talk about Jesus. You know the reason? One of the reasons we do takeaways in this church is just so I could force you to talk about Jesus. That's, how, that's why I did it. That's why we did it originally. So that when you end the service, you don't start talking about everything else but Jesus and the Bible. It just teaches you because people don't do that regularly. I would come back, you talk, come to church, and then we talk about stuff, and as soon as we're done, they talk about everything but the Bible. And so, so um, talk about, put the word of Christ on your lips. So congregationally, okay, I got to go faster. No, um, net, number three, comprehensively, verse 17, it says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that means walk with Christ in everything you do. Number four, familially, chapter three, verses 18 to 22, wives, submit to your husbands under Jesus as your ultimate authority. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter to them. Children, obey your parents, not to please your parents ultimately, but to please who? The Lord, Jesus. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Parents, don't discourage your children. That's what it says. Are your children encouraged that you're the, that you're the parent, their parents? Or are your ch children discouraged because you're their parents? Be an encouragement to your children. Number five. Uh, so familiarly, next is vocationally. Work hard. It says in verse um, 22, work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do at your work on your job, do it from where? Verse 23, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. So work hard, work wholeheartedly for the Lord. If you're a boss at your work, you have authority at your work, you have power at work, use your power to do justice and fairness and serve those under your authority and power. So work vocationally, walk vocationally with Christ. Number six, prayerfully. Look at verse two, chapter four, verse two. Devote yourselves to what? Prayer. So, so here's an application. Take time to pray daily with thanksgiving and on Sundays with the church. Pray for the spread of the gospel and pray for those spreading the gospel. Number seven, walk with Christ evangelistically. Look at verse five. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. So, act wisely towards those who are not Christian with the opportunities God gives you. Live with gospel intentionality towards outsiders. And lastly, number eight, here's Paul's sh list of shout-outs to his friends. This person says hi, that person says hi, Tychicus says hi, Epaphras says hi, he's praying for you, Demas says hi. By the way, say hi to, uh, say, say hi to the people at, at the churches that you guys are at. All of, this, all of this greeting and updating each other on life and ministry, you know what that's called? Cooperation. Relational cooperation for the spread of the gospel. So what am I telling you, church family? Stay informed about other churches. Meet with Christians from other churches. Last night, yesterday was wonderful. 26 other churches here in this building of ladies, cool, like learning about each other's lives. That's cooperation. Hopefully friendships are formed there. Mutually encouraging other gospel Christians in Los Angeles and around the world. Okay, so that's how we walk in Christ. By pursuing a Christian mindset and a Christian lifestyle in everything we do. So what's the main command here? Don't stop walking in Christ for other things that seem spiritually appealing. Continue to walk in Christ. Why? Because the gospel came to you, because gospel people pray for you, because Christ is glorious, and because gospel people struggle for you. And how should you do it? By discerning and avoiding Christ-marginalizing ideas and pursuing a Christ-centered mindset and a Christ-centered and Christ-exalting lifestyle. The message of Colossians is wonderfully simple. And its simplicity increases its effectiveness. Walk in Jesus. Let me tell you a story about three kings from the Old Testament to compare it briefly. Josiah, King Josiah, King Saul, and King David. King Josiah was, in my mind, the best king of all the Israelite kings, all the covenant, old, old covenant kings. He's a king of Judah. Josiah walked with Christ from, or walked with the Lord faithfully from the beginning all the way till he died in battle. He's like the only one who like, you know, just was faithful all the way through. Walked, continually walking with God all the way to the end. Then you have King Saul, who walked with God in the beginning, 
But then, from the beginning to the middle part where he says, I'm going to walk with God, but I'm going to walk with God my own way, not God's way. God gave a command. I don't want that command. I have a better way of doing it. I'm going to make a sacrifice in this way, in this time to walk with God. God rejected him, and then Saul got worse after that. Saul went from walking with God in his own way to saying, forget God. I'm trying to protect my own dynasty and my own throne. That's how Paul ended his kingship, or Saul ended his kingship. And then lastly, I have King David, who started out really well, and then continued in the middle of his ministry really well, and then later on in the middle of his ministry committed adultery and did the same thing King Saul did. He ignored conviction and he tried to follow God his own way until one of his friends, find faithful friends like this in your own life, Nathan came to his face and did what? Rebuked him. You need, you need friends like that in your life. Confronted him and said, you are sinning God is against you, and, and David immediately, not like Saul, Saul made excuses. What did David do? He considered it, he repented right there, and asked for, for, for God's forgiveness and grace, and changed, and walked with God generally faithfully for the rest of his days. Now, I'm assuming none of us are like King Josiah. I mean, Josiah probably had flaws, it's just not in the Bible. Okay, um, so we're not like Josiah, uh, hopefully you're not like Saul, but I feel like a lot of us might be more like King David, right? I mean, that's how I am. That's how I feel right now in terms of my discouragement. I'm discouraged. Here's what I'm discouraged by right now. I was talking to John Lee on Friday. He says, how are you? And I just, you know, just barfed on him how I was doing. And I was like, I'm discouraged about my failings. I feel like in my, and I have a list of things here, my time, the way I'm using my time, my fitness, my nutrition, my soul, my pastoring, my parenting. I feel like it's all on me so I don't pray and I'm not resting on Christ. And John Lee listened to me, and I'm confessing temptations, I'm confessing sins, and John Lee listened to me, and he says, I think you're doing okay. You're, you're, you're fine. And, and he didn't mean, like, I don't need to repent and change. He just meant, like, brother, like, you just need to relax and just rest on Christ and stop doing it, on, like, doing it yourself. You're doing okay. You're doing fine in these different areas. Just keep going. And, yeah, you need to repent of that, and, yeah, you need to work on that, and, yeah, you should do that differently. But, brother, you're doing, you're doing fine. And you know what? It was just so simple. Just, just, you're doing okay. Just keep walking in Christ. And that's the message of Colossians. If you're discouraged, you're down, and you're just like, oh, I feel like I need to do this. I'm lacking this. I'm lacking that. If you're here and you're wanting Jesus, you're generally doing okay. Just keep walking in Christ. Because Christ is supreme. Christ is central. Christ has come for you. He's come for his people. And he saved us. And he's united us to him. And he fills us with himself and with his goodness. And Jesus will take you home. He will take us home. We get to walk with him. I get to walk with him. I get to walk in him. Jesus is powerful, so you don't have to be powerful. Jesus is good, and he's glorious, so you don't have to look elsewhere. He's enough. Brothers and sisters, continue to walk in Jesus with a mindset with a mind that's set on him and a lifestyle committed to him in every aspect. That's it. Ordinary Christians living ordinary lives with a Christ-centered intentionality. With a gospel intentionality. So here's my last call to action application to you. And I'll read a verse and I'm done. So like King David, here's what I want you to do. Okay, what's one takeaway or one action? Here's my one distilled action for you. Like King David, I want you to pause. And ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you and to change your mindset and your habit. Then I want you to take one concrete and specific step towards centering your mind and your life on Jesus. So to just take a moment to pause and ask God to forgive you for not resting and walking with Christ in the center. And ask God for a specific way to change and walk. Take that one step in that direction. Let me close with a verse and a, 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 lasting, a last sentence encouragement. And this is the verse that Aaron read so well for us from Psalm 37 as he read the scripture reading. It's the last two verses. I don't know if you caught it. I mean, Psalm 37 was so good this morning, wasn't it? Psalm 37, 1 through 24. But the last two verses say this. A person's steps are established by Yahweh and he takes pleasure in his way. Though he falls, 
he will not be overwhelmed because Yahweh supports him with his hand. He supports you. Jesus is central and supreme. May his grace be with you. Father in heaven, we pray that the grace of this book would be with us. We pray that we would continue to walk in Christ and walk with Christ, that we would be compelled by what you've done and who you are and what you've said, that it would compel us to continue to walk in Christ. And we pray that we would set our minds on Christ and live walking with Christ personally, congregationally, comprehensively, with our families, at work, in prayer, with engaging outsiders, and with cooperating with Christians all around the world. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you establish our steps, that you take pleasure in our way. We, pray, we praise you that even when we fall, we will not be overwhelmed because you support us with your hand. So fill us and help us to keep walking in Christ. Help us to not stop until we have enough of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.